Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are speaking with Candace Silvers. Candace and I connected a few months ago, and I knew from the more I got to connect with her, the more I learned about her, the work that she's doing, that she was a perfect guest to bring on the show. Today, we're going to be talking about teaching the world to heal. Candace is a world-renowned healer and teacher and human behavioral expert. She is the creator of the Silver's Healing Modality and the founder of the Silver's Healing Academy. Candace has healed thousands of people all over the world with chronic pain, digestive issues, cancer diagnosis, loss of vision, and countless other serious health concerns. With her expertise in human behavior, Candace is not only an incredible healer, but she is a wealth of knowledge and wisdom constantly channeling innovative ideas, solutions, and ways in which we can heal our bodies and our world through a newfound awareness. Candace teaches the gift of healing so that within just six weeks, you can be the healer in your family. Candace has trained healers in 45 countries, including hundreds of doctors, nurses, and healthcare professionals. This is such a powerful episode, and you're going to hear so much about Candace, her knowledge, her expertise, and how she speaks like no one else I've had on the show, which I loved, absolutely loved it. Candace will inspire you to take action so that you don't have to wait to hit rock bottom to create change in your life. That was something that hit for me. There's so much in this episode, you're going to love it. Welcome to the show today, Candice. I am thrilled to have this conversation with you. I'm so happy to be here. Meeting you was like kismet. So I'm um, I'm honored to be chatting with you today. And obviously, this is 36 years of my profession. So sharing with any listener who is ready, um, has hit a wall, culture isn't working for anymore and is done with spiritual intellectual mumbo jumbo. That's not working either. Um, So they're willing to look into nonsense because nonsense is where freedom rings. Nonsense is where freedom rings. Okay. So I love this. Let's dive in first in the sense of where you are today and what it is that you offer and share with people because what I really want to do is simplify the process of what you offer, what you have cultivated and learned yourself. Because I really feel like we're in this space that we're forever looking for answers outside of ourselves. In every area of our life and business, it is like we look outside of ourselves. And one of the things we were saying before we hit record is 
Like I found these last three years, especially since it feels like the whole life like world has been blowing up a little bit, but <laughs> that I have gone more internal and learned a little bit more about myself as the primary um, piece. And I've gone through a lot of healing, like a tremendous amount of healing internally as well. And I'm always open to learning more. So I would love to know what it is that you do today. And we're going to dive into more of your story. So I do many things. I'm more like an octopus, but everything comes out of the origin, which is human behavior, right? What causes us to come into being. So whether I'm training doctors and nurses around the world, or I'm helping moms with children with addiction, or I'm uh, healing. I mean, yesterday I had a woman who flew in from Michigan and she was in her beautiful woman from, no, maybe it wasn't Michigan, something like that. Uh, and, and beautiful woman in her late thirties and, um, said she had lost her hearing 80% of her hearing when she was three years old. Mm-hmm. And it took me about five minutes to give her her hearing back. It really, it's all an octopus. I mean, it doesn't make sense what I do. I do international retreats. I do local, you know, I, I, my book is almost done, but it, but they all come out of the same origin. I've been teaching human behavior for the last 36 years, right? So you want me to talk about my academy where I train uh, people on six continents all over the world to be able to cure cancer and um blindness and, you know, or, or human behavior or addiction or uh, the lie of the mind, freedom rings. Like we, you know, I made that statement, so I might as well speak to it. Nonsense means our culture hasn't ordained it yet. It hasn't, it's still zealot, right? Whether it works or not only happens when we have direct experience that says, you know, if I dive into a pool, I can swim. If I dive into cement, I die, right? Mm-hmm. So that direct experience tells us the truth, not what someone tries to sell us so they can buy a bigger boat. Oh, see that I think is, again, a really powerful statement. I heard you say on another recording, like so many people might be, or they might say, you know, I'm a skeptic. I'm not open. I'm not this. I'm not that. But then when they get the diagnosis, it's like, I feel, and maybe this is just my perception. They get the diagnosis. People go one of two camps. Well, I guess that's it. I guess that's all I have. The doctor said, I can't like, who am I to question it? Or they go down the other path of like, wait, I am like, what can I learn? What else can I find out? How can I start to investigate? And I feel like people kind of bridge into one of two paths. Does that what you see? Do you see people who come to you and maybe they're skeptics and then they're like, wait, can I just learn more? I think there are more than two paths. Um, And I think there's a process and steps to it. And I think our culture is kind of ordained sort of that, you know, uh, first uh, shock and then anger and then um, remorse and that, you know, so there are stages to getting there. And some people just pop present, like I'm not willing to die and I don't believe my doctor and I've had three second opinions and I'm not going to just lay down and die. So I'm going to now, you know, and I call people and I, you know, doctors, medical professionals, and I say, look, help me. And they all go, we can't help you. This is, you know, we can ease your pain and we can make you feel better. Like I've performed so many medical miracles, a kind of medical miracles, meaning medicine can't do it yet till I teach them how, but like 
people who, you know, they're older people, their legs kind of turn brown or black and get spots and they're in terrible pain. And it, you know, I see that as a sandbag that fills up from the ground up that's caused by lack of, of um, circulation, no blood and oxygen flow. So there is no nutrition. So malnutrition, the leg starts to die from the foot up. And the best we have in our community medically, globally is to make someone comfortable while it gets worse and worse. So in five minutes, I can heal that. Right. So when did that person look outside of what they knew? When did that person go? The pain is so bad. I can't walk on my feet. It feels like I have, you know, a three or four inch pad under my feet that I can't walk on. My body hurts. I'm getting either restless leg syndrome or I'm getting all of these other shocks through my body because I'm not flowing anymore. There's no oxygen. Most people like that are going to learn to live with it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, someone that goes, I have cancer. And I'm 40 or 50 or 60. And, you know, since the pandemic, I'm not, I don't really just believe doctors anymore. I'm getting there's politics and finance involved. There's got to be more. So they may not have to go through all those stages. They may just start looking. Then you get to the next wall. And that is, are you, are you willing to be uncomfortable? Are you willing to um, live in the discomfort, meaning the mind has not been here yet. So it's not soothed by what it's finding and ushering in. And um, it's not getting somewhere. It's losing the identity of getting somewhere. It's now being an experiencer amongst experiences. It's involved, never been here before yet. Therefore, I'm an experiencer, right? Because I can't know what I'm doing. If this is brand new, I'm learning instead. To me, I'm sad that this is the way our culture has deemed it's time to learn. But I'm excited for human beings to get to this place because I believe we're on this planet to learn. I believe this is life school. I believe we're learning to take our first breath and we're learning to take our last breath. You don't die before you're dead. You're learning how to die. Mm -hmm. Whether we're Hitler or Mother Teresa, we are involved in the game of life. And it's direct experience through karma, through your own self-will how, what, why you get to where you are and you wear your choices. Even though our culture blames it away, my ex-husband did it, the president did it, the fact that I wasn't born to these people did it. Um, When we become willing to take responsibility, have the ability to respond, and usually that happens by accident, not on purpose, right? We don't go, I now want to take responsibility for all my pain and problems. No. But we get to that wall that goes, you cannot pass go, you cannot collect $200, you don't want to die and you can't live. So you've got to look different. (laughs) To me, that is the greatest grace on the planet, because that's where a spiritual experience can happen. You have to be up for the game. (laughs) And I think the face of death, people get up for the game. They don't know they're up for the game. They just, they're, what they're doing is reacting to, I don't want to die. (laughs) And they're stumbling upon not they're choosing to wake up and go through the discomfort of nonsense. Because remember, sense is just we've agreed to agree upon. What is a culture? But cult, cultural is cult, you are all. Culture all. Cultural is a is a cult. It's, it's an agreement to agree upon the same agreements. <laughs> and if you live in America, you've agreed upon those agreements. If you live in Germany, you've agreed. If you live in North Carolina, uh, North Carolina, <laughs> Uh, North Korea, <laughs> you you've agree, you you maybe haven't agreed to agree upon them, but you have no choice but to agree to agree upon them. 
these cultures, and you know what I'm talking about if you go from Texas to Los Angeles, right? You're going to have very different cultures. And so they know each other. And someone from Los Angeles goes, I don't want to live like that. And someone from, you know, Dallas goes, I don't want to live like that. But if you live in Dallas, that's just real. And if you live in Los Angeles, that's just real. So you've agreed to agree upon those agreements. And what does that do to most of us where we can't agree? We have to learn to lie. And if we don't have enough, we have to learn to steal. And if we can't get away with it, we have to learn to cheat. So it's a it's a faux pas that happens to us. But then again, even saying that, do we blame it away or do we take responsibility? Do we get up and move or do we choose to take responsibility for where we've hit the wall of our mind and we're in and out of order? And that's where my work comes into play. So when you talk about someone getting to the end of their life, to me, if they don't die, that becomes the beginning of their life. So are we in destruction or creation? right? Is the end the beginning or is the end the end? And like you said, some people just choose to go to heaven or whatever you want to discuss next places. Dead rock. I don't care. They're not here anymore. And when I say don't care, what I mean is it's themology. The best we've got on this planet is a theory. So why are we arguing over it? We will never know until we're dead what dead is. So why are we arguing over it? But why instead are we not using it through this life school to make metaphors of the greatest um, experience we can have while we're here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have to get disillusioned and a lot of people, most people have to get disillusioned and they have to get to the end and they, it has to be rock bottom. Right. And I just, with my human behavioral classes, people don't have to get to rock bottom. They, they get to become aware through analogies and parables and, the willingness to risk taking actions. And it's my job to inspire you or confuse you enough to inspire you to get you to take that action beyond what you know, to come back to class the following week and go, holy crap, you're not going to believe what happened. Mm -hmm. You're opening up eyes and like, and, and possibilities for people. And I think that is beautiful. You said, I mean, I don't know if I've ever had anybody say that, which is so funny, but where your choices, like you wear your choices. And I mean, think about our culture. We can read on each other, happy, sad, glad, mad. You know, when someone's happy, you know, when they're sad, you know, when they're glad and you know, when they're mad. What about when you start shading and mixing those things and you can read someone who's been molested when they're six or their mother died when they were nine or, um, you know, they were born like, what if we could actually, instead of getting mad at people, read them and understand them. And instead of going to get, we went to give. What if we learned that in the reception is only the giving? You can only receive by giving. You can't receive by getting. It's virtually impossible. Now, I mean, I've been teaching that for 36 years. People now are starting to get that. 36 years ago, I used to have people stand up and say, point to there. And they would point to there. And then they would get there. And I'd say, are you, I would, they would say, when I get here. And I would say, well, what do you mean when you get here? You're here now. And they would say, no, no, no. I mean like tomorrow. And I would say, but there is no tomorrow. And they're like, this was 36 years ago. (laughs) This was before people knew about meditation and, Mm -hmm. you know, yoga. I mean, I started going to India. I started doing meditation and yoga in the seventies, right? When people thought it was a cult. So now they, this cult lives in grammar school. So they don't call it a cult anymore. They call it normal. Um, But I would have them 
point to tomorrow and then go stand there and go, where are you now? And they would go here. And I'd go, no, you said tomorrow. So be true to your word, point to there and go there. And they would go there and I'd go, where are you now? They'd go here. I'd go, well, you said it was there. So I, I literally have to play games with them to get them to lose their mind. The concepts, our cults, our cultures had co-created as true that we were all just following the leader. Now, everything I do has direct experience. So let me give you a direct experience. Mm. Just recently, that movie came out about Elvis. Um, I don't remember the name of it. Uh, Elvis? I don't know. But if you go and watch it, it is a perfect example of cult in that, not not as a put down. We, We like to put everything down. We like, everything is a put down, right? Because it's the only way to protect the self is to point to other. Yep. Culturally. But if you go and watch that movie of Elvis coming in, to normal or coming into culture, coming into vogue. If you go back and watch that movie, you'll see all the girls in the audience and the men. And he's on stage and he's grinding, which they show so brilliantly that he learned because he was raised in a black community and that was normal there. And because they, it was okay to feel and be an experience and have emotions, mm-hmm. right? And we were coming out of the World War II, where it was too dangerous to have an emotion and everything had to be white gloves and pretty, if you were lucky enough to be in the Stepford Wives of that association. And because remember, we're only talking to the group that can afford a computer and that can afford to go to the movies and that can afford a ticket to see something, right? So you're talking about like how many people on the planet have a passport, but people with passports just assume everyone has one. Yes. So you watch that movie and you see the people in the audience going, right? Because he's bumping and grinding. Today, there's no one that age back there here now that would do that because back there, that culture hadn't been, um, um, it it, it hadn't become available to them. Mm -hmm. Where today, that's back there to us. Now we go to the beach naked. And you can really depict the difference in cultures because it wasn't, you know, the kingdoms of the fourth century. It was just a few decades ago. So it's a really beautiful themology to be able to look to see 50 years from now, what will our cults look like that Mm. we can't see? So Los Angeles can look at Texas and go, you guys are so different than us, but Los Angeles can't look at Los Angeles and see where it's different from itself. Like a fish doesn't know it's in water till you take it out of water. And when you start to see that putting things down only separates you from the lesson, being in the nonsense of beyond what you know and being willing to excavate or involve or experience or forge forward, knowing that you have to make mistakes. If you've never been here before yet, how can you not make a mistake? Because you don't know the right way. But I'm willing to make a mistake so I can learn to do a retake so I can be involved in this nonsense until the nonsense begins to make sense. (laughs) And as soon as it makes sense, move to nonsense again, because the minute it makes sense, it means you're repeating yourself. You've pre-verbally pre-labeled, this is what it is. So it makes sense. You're not living anymore. You're repeating. Now, that is not something most people on the planet want to do. It's not the way they want to live. It's too uncomfortable to the way Elvis cult or this cult or whatever that is. We haven't been trained yet to live in nonsense. Mm-hmm. And when you, you know, I did uh, retreats in India for about 10 years. I had a charity there. I built a school and took care of 200 kids every year and raised a lot of money for, you know, um, 
But I spent a lot of time there and going to Badranath and different places in India um, of the seven highest peaks. And you see sadhus who live in caves. And I just had the great grace of being born with this ability to heal people and this sight I had, but total nonsense to the world we live in. So I, I was just ushered into having to look to see and go. And um, and you see these sadhus who are living, who have a vow of celibacy, a vow of silence. So, so they live, let's say, um, th- they'll find a, a cave that's empty. And when they choose to make that their home, they just put a little like there's a little sign, but it's not really a sign that says this is inhabited right now. And the sadhu before them leaves um, the pot and the rock and the cup made out of, you know, and it's in there and they stay there until it becomes familiar. And then they move to the next cave so that they are always, and they, they live alone Yeah to each individual being on this planet. I don't know the the percentage of direct truth to that, but this is the themology of it. So when they're eating, they are always eating with nature. When they're sleeping, they're sleeping with nature. They're involved in nature. They are not involved in culture. So they live in nonsense. And the moment something becomes familiar through their sect or culture, whatever you want to call it, um, they move. Now, when I was there and observing that and learning that, I didn't say to myself, I'm moving in this direction, but I found the similarities in the way I live and what calls me, which has always made me different from everyone else. But you get used to that as a kid. I had four sisters who were nothing like me, and then there was me, right? So I got used to it as a kid. They were all meat eaters and debaters and I played the flute and danced and I was born a vegetarian. And from the beginning, I was, I think, you know, when God wants to create a pearl, he drops sand in the oyster, right? So there's always that chafing and that nonsense and that um, out of order. But if you can't get away with it and you can't find solace and you can't find um, involvement and you can't find community and you can't find agreement and you're not willing to die or become an addict or become angry or disillusioned by mother nature and God and involvement and you find joy places, you have no choice but to look. You're speaking my language and I'm loving this conversation because as I, I, it just, it has me reflecting on so many different things. And one of the things that keeps hitting home is, you know, as humans, we crave, we, we crave familiar but a lot of times the familiar, no, I'm going to say because we resist change, but we don't, maybe we don't want the familiar, but we resist change. And it's interesting because. Well, that's why we've adopted. So I'm just going to say this and be oh. quiet again. That's why we've adopted, which was trained to us and taught to us by, I think, Ford, but I'm sure before Ford was the, that he got the idea from the idea tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because before, let's just make it this blanket statement so you can understand what I'm saying, because I speak in nonsense. Before antibiotics, and it was before that, but before antibiotics, people just died. You got a tooth infection, you died. In birth, you died. You'd, like There was no tomorrow. There was no safety. There was no there. There was no coming. There was, there was the experience of life in this moment. So people were not 
safe with familiar because there was no familiar. There was no air conditioning. If a spider bit you, you died. There wasn't anything familiar. Nonsense was normal. I think the more we've tried to make life familiar and easy and accessible and get to and build and grow, the further away from Mother Nature we've gotten. Sorry, I said one sentence and I kept talking. No, no, no. That was great. That was a great because I know that's going to be a question. I, I try and think in the minds of our listeners and some of the questions that they might have. And it's interesting because we've talked a little bit before we started recording in how so many people are really have this massive disconnect mind and body. What is safe to feel? What is not safe to feel? Well, think about the seventies. I was just, I am a kid from the (laughs) seventies and I am laughing because I think of my parents who I love dearly, but my generation was like, it was it's not that it wasn't safe to feel, it was discouraged to feel. Well, in before the 60s, uh, wealthy women were put to sleep to give birth because we didn't want the woman to feel. In the 70s and 80s, we were just finding out that it could be possible that cancer didn't happen to you, that there was a body-mind connection. So we're just in the evolution of that state. But here's what I believe in and what I teach and what I stand for and what I'm on this planet to do because I've done it for 62 years, not because I'm saying I'm going to, um, is move forward from the future. Why in, let's say, 1960 in the Olympics, and I know nothing about the Olympics or running, so I'm going to totally make up numbers. They're totally fake. I don't know. But like in the Olympics in 1960, you ran the mile in, you know, five minutes. Today, you run the mile in four minutes. Why did it take 60 years to shave off a minute? Why did we shave off two and three seconds at a time? Now you can say different vitamins, different shoes, different exercises, different, but it, I'm going to say the origin is the mind. What we believe is possible for us. And we are always going to go to the wall of our mind and and do the safe thing of two more inches instead of why not move forward from the future if i know that 60 years from now i can run this mile in a minute less then why not run it now not that we're in a hurry not that we need to get to the future because there isn't one not that anything is wrong but why are we so safe in safety we live on an undulating planet filled with hot lava that can implode or explode at any moment. And we know this because we're having earthquakes and tidal waves and tornadoes and people are dying by accident, waking up in the morning. Why are we living to be safe? Where did that come into vogue? And why is it we'd rather die of cancer because a doctor said it happened to us and we can do nothing about it? I'm working with one lady in her late 70s who has um, Parkinson's. And the first time she came to me, and I work on Zoom globally all over the world, it's a 15 minute healing. She said, I'm just about to go on a cruise with my son. And it's really hard for me to walk. And I want to be able to walk on this cruise. And I did one healing on her and she came back from the cruise and she said, I was able to run. After that, I've probably done seven or eight more healings, 10 more healings on her. And she's not having more forward movement. And I'm saying to her, look, I can't tell you why, because I don't have the evidence of the medical community to stand up against it, to do MRIs and to say with CAT scans or, you know, look, you should be this much worse today and you're not. So something's going on because it's not getting worse at the level we see Parkinson's at this level getting right. We don't have that confirmation, although honored to say I'm just about to do another documentary with an Academy Award winning filmmaking 
crew proving the science behind my energy medicine. So I'm thrilled about that. But here's the way I do it now. I have another woman I'm working with, I think who's maybe 60, who has Parkinson's and I'm able to work in her brain, put my hands over her brain um, and, and find the part in her brain that's connected to, let's say her right foot. And she says, I haven't been able to move my right foot for two years. And while I'm working in her brain, I get her to move her right foot. So she's moving her right foot. So I'm learning on this woman in her sixties, how to take care of this woman in her late seventies, because everything I do is learning. Nothing is rote or repeated, or you have to deal with what's going on in front of you to learn what's going on in front of you. Like the young woman I told you yesterday in her thirties who came to me and um, says, you know, I've been able to hear out of my left ear since I was three years old. And so I spent about five minutes in her ear. And then I said, how can we check on this? And she goes, I don't know. I, it sounds like I'm underwater. So I leaned down and I talked into her ear. Cause she said, well, I could tell if I'm on a phone. And so I talked into her and she goes, doesn't sound like I'm underwater. Now, how did I do that? Marsha, I don't know how I did that. What if we live in a world where people are having direct experience and massive, what we would call miracles, right? Because it's beyond what we currently know. In a way, we've only dreamt about on TV or in Walt Disney or It's a Wonderful Life. Willy Wonka, right? But it's happening. And we can't say how or why, but we're having direct experience and it's happening because we're willing to move forward from the future and what others are saying. That's not possible. You can't do that. Get back to what we know. Elvis is wrong. You can't look at that. Stop it. You're not like all of us. There's something wrong with you. Come back to what we know. Let's just wish there was a tomorrow and a God and things were better, but no, 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 no. What if you were willing to be uncomfortable? And what if you were willing to stand up no matter what? And what if you got that making it through was dead man walking, right? From one cell to the other, dead man walking. It's just waiting for the next place, the lie of the mind and, you know, the, the cell of what you know, the four walls of what you know while you pray there's this tomorrow, but isn't tomorrow just today with a different perception? It is. It is. And this is just like, this is, and I love because there will be people who are going to go, what? Like they're just going to, because it, because it's, it, maybe it's foreign to them. Maybe this is a new way of thinking. I don't think it's a new way of thinking. I think it's abstract thinking. I think it's outside of a new way. I don't think my thinking will catch on in 500 years. I don't think this is, you are any human being is capable of this cult because it isn't one. You can't conform. You can't repeat. Think about spirituality. Spiritual, like intellectual, spiritual is spirit. You are all. Intellectual is intellect, you are all. Intellect, you all. Spirit, you all. In spirit, it's an agreement to agree upon the same agreements. In in, in intellectual, it's, it's an agreement to agree, agree upon the same agreements. Well, what are those agreements? Spiritual is two or more gathered together to learn about themselves. Full stop. Mm -hmm. Intellectual is two or more gathered together to get somewhere based in fear of loss. I want to learn where I am and how to get away from it or to it or from it because I don't want to be here anymore. That's all bungee cord. Mm -hmm. Spiritual is two or more gathered together 
to learn about themselves. Well, what's the learning? I don't know. Where are we getting? I don't know what's happening. I don't know. I'm just learning, right? So I don't think there can be conformity in spiritual. I think what we have today at best, which is so upsetting to me, but I also understand it's the next step. Instead of going from 1960s to today, we're going from 1960 to 1964, right? But spiritual today is spiritual intellect. It's people actually thinking they know that vegetarianism is right, or you're wrong because you're not doing it this way, or this works for me and you're not doing it. So there's something wrong with you. It's all this elite thinking of, I took a yoga class and this is what they told me. And because you're not agreeing and it helped me on Tuesday, there's something wrong with you because if there isn't something wrong with you, then it's not working for me. And I'm afraid it's not working for me. So there must be something wrong with you. And this is sort of cult to cult. I think what I'm doing, I've been teaching this for 36 years. I've never seen anyone act like me, repeat me. You take a, like, whoever's listening to this, their life is going to alter from this conversation. They will not remember, retain, or repeat one thing I said, but they will begin to see differently. And that's more ontological than investigational. You can't understand what I'm saying, but it causes you to look to see beyond what you know. If you're willing. And if you're ready, because willingness is the key that unlocks everything. Without willingness, you're not looking. And what causes us to become willing? So I have always said, and I believe in, and I believe it to be true, when we believe in the unbelievable until the unbelievable becomes believable, Mm -hmm. we are experiencers. When we say the unbelievable is unbelievable, that's why it's called unbelievable. We are intellects. So I, I say always believe in the unbelievable until the unbelievable becomes believable. Never don't believe in the unbelievable. And you follow that up with when you want what you have, you have what you want. And until you want what you have, you'll never have what you want. So you might as well want what you have, even if it's cancer, because it makes you tangible. Mm-hmm. Now you're tangible, you're involved, you can make a difference. But as long as you don't want what you have and you're waiting for the future, you're not tangible, you're not involved, it's not direct experience, it's your mind like a four-year-old screaming, I want a cookie. It's not involved, it's outvolved, it's thoughtful, full of thought instead of involved on the way in nonsense looking for beyond what I know to co-create with. I don't think that can be culturized. I think that is for the few and far between today anyway, like when Elvis first came, the few and far between that have had it with running to and fro, Mm -hmm. going from on the left to on the right, or moving from city to state to country, or getting married and divorced and married and divorced. Or, But like, there's got to be more than getting somewhere. There has to be more than getting somewhere. And I think that is a, there's so much power in what you just said. Um, I feel like sometimes I'm talking to Gandhi, which I love because I'm just like it. And you're right. I might not remember every single word that you said, which of course I'm not going to, but it does change me because it, it helps me to see things differently, to look at things differently. So how does a person who's listening to this become more involved in their own life? Like I said, willingness is the key and it's not an intellectual choice. It's one of the reasons I train people to heal with their hands in six weeks. Mm -hmm. I, I invite you to come and take my academy with me. The next one starts in February. But and also, however, but and also, however, all one word. Um until you're ready, I'm invisible. Once you're ready, you can see me. 
And that willingness that's the key that unlocks the door says, I don't believe it's possible that I can heal someone in six weeks in a powerful way with my hands. I could do something similar. Like, I don't even know what Reiki is, but if Reiki doesn't heal cancer, I'm not interested in it. I want to do things that maximize my time on this planet in the investigating, not look what I can do. But for a lot of people, Reiki is a really great start because it's it's not scary to dabble in something that's not impossible. I had a doctor that came to me on Zoom. Um, he said he was blind in his left eye. I did three 15-minute healings on him, I guess, over a week or two weeks, and he got sight back. He was so blown away. He came back and he said, look, I'm an emergency medicine doctor, graduated from Harvard, I think Harvard or Yale. Um, 35 years ago, um, I've been to many good eye doctors who said I'll never get my sight back. But now I think it was a fluke. So I'm back again because I'm supposed to have my knee replaced. And I did one 15-minute healing on him. And he played tennis the next day. So as a result, he came and took my level one academy. It was so powerful. He came back and took my level two academy. And now he's scheduled for my level three academy. But he became willing because he was blind in his left eye and he will lovingly share with you. And he's because I just love this man, Dr. Troy. I love him. Um, you know, he said when he, he was an emergency medicine doctor for 36 years about, and he, um, you know, he wasn't suicidal, like trying to kill himself, but he like didn't know that he wanted to live anymore because how, how can you continue your life if, you can't continue your life and I don't know a new life. And so he was way more grateful for me than just getting, you know, so many other things happen. And now he calls me all the time and he's like, I'm losing 10 pounds a week. He's very overweight. And, and anyway, this started a year ago. So he's still losing 10 pounds a week and he's not on a diet. He's not, you know, he's just in my human behavioral classes and taking my retreats and practicing the unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, says things like, Candace, you have no idea how important this is. Because in Los Angeles, anyway, um, we're not allowed to touch patients anymore. We can't even use a stethoscope. That's how frightened Los Angeles is. They, they're not allowed to touch. No idea. I had no idea. I had no idea. Well, because I train doctors and nurses all over the world. I get to hear a lot of things that I wouldn't have gotten to hear had I not heard human beings speaking to me from their humanity, right? You're just hearing the rhetoric of what they're allowed to say. And, you know, he said, you know how important touch is for healing, like a hug. And we're not allowed to touch people anymore. Well, Los Angeles has lost its mind. It is based in fear and rhetoric. Mm-hmm. We're all going to die. We're all going to blow up the, you know, we're going to global warming. You can't have this. You can't have that. You can't do this. So just charge more taxes. <laughs> no, I just don't get it. But anyway, People that are called to live like that are called to live like that. People that are called to live like this, live like this. People that are caused to live like, called to live like a sadhu, live like a sadhu. There isn't a right way. There is life school, right? And the karmic reward of the choice or choiceless choice you make. You wear, you become, you come into being, you become. And so you can blame it away all day long on your government or your ex-spouse or your children but you might as well take responsibility for it like cancer since it belongs to you. And once you do, the sky is the limit and it is not comfortable. We don't call it growing joys. We call it growing pains for a reason. It's painful, full of pain. Why? Because 
the mind doesn't want to lose itself. Mm-hmm. It's painful to find out that what I think doesn't work anymore. So it's much easier to say what you said to me is wrong. It's painful to just want to repeat that last part. It's painful to think that what I think doesn't work anymore. Is that correct? Is that what we said? So we get a divorce or we quit our job or we sell our home or we stop being best friends or we, Mm -hmm. you know, because what I'm thinking doesn't work anymore. So it's got to be your fault instead of I'm willing to look at the lie of my own mind and that it's bringing me a disservice and a dissatisfaction to where I reside right now, because there are no coincidences or, or um, accidents in the presence. And you don't even want to say in the presence, because there is no the presence is the absence of mind. It is pure experience. Mm -hmm. Think of this, we're born at the beginning of a maze and we die at the end of it, right? Our life is a maze. Mm -hmm. No idea where we're going. We run into walls. Things are out of order. None of us know how large our mazes are until we die. And does it matter? Because when we die, we're dead. We don't care anymore, right? So, but we're looking at, will I get there? And how long will it take? And this is impossible. And But if we look at a maze and we say, how many times I got to the dead end and I went around back and I came forward and I run around back and I came forward and I just can't figure out another way. So I just put all my baggage down at the wall of my mind. And that's where I live the rest of my life is my truth, right? Like think if you're in a in a station wagon going 100 miles an hour and you hit a stop sign, boom, all the baggage flies forward. And that's where you spend the rest of your life living at the wall of your mind. But the point of view that you see is what you blame it on. Mm -hmm. What if you were willing to work with me and get that the wall is a wall of thought, not truth? If you shift what you see, your perception shifts, the mind will become elusive. If the mind becomes elusive and you become willing to risk taking an action against it to see that it's not electricity, that it's actually a step into beyond what you know or nonsense, because we started with that word, um, and the wall comes down and along the path journey and way of your life, yellow brick road, whatever you want to call it, that forward movement you're no longer in a maze. You're now in a maze-ing, ing, I-N-G, action, movement. A maze-ing. The wall came down. The action beyond what you know appeared, occurred, showed up. Now you're along the way of your life. You're involved. Amazing. When you're along the way and you're in pure selfless service, meaning there's either nothing more I can do for myself, so I might as well feed another, or I'm involved in all that's occurring. And it's so nonsensical and beyond what I know. I don't have any pre-verbal historical programming or identification to know where I am. While I'm involved, it's called amazing grace. Grace is something you can feel in the wind, but you can't see it. You can't hold it. You can't sell it. You can't know it. You can't explain it but you can experience it. What if people were willing to live in nonsense? What if people were willing to live while they were alive, not get somewhere, which is just, you know, Elvis to where we are now to 50 years from now to 2000 years from now, where people are fed up with getting somewhere where they finally now want to be here. And to be here, you have to give up what you know, and to give up what you know, oh my goodness, how uncomfortable those growing pains. And what if we became comfortable in discomfort? 
Mm-hmm. Like guys that go to the gym and work out and they're in total pain for the next few days, but they know the pain is the growth. Why do we have that at the gym, but not the gym of life? A hundred percent. My, my husband is a like Olympic lifter. He's qualified for the world. He is like, it's such a big joke around our house all the time, but I know what growth is like growth is very discomfort. It, there's a lot of discomfort that's there, but it's required because that's, that's how we move, continue to move forward. And you gave me such an analogy that I just want to share briefly. Like this podcast started because I felt like people were not talking about the difficult things in life. Again, I grew up in a generation where it was like, no, emotions are not safe. We do not discuss it. You put your face on, you shove it down and you move on until I really started to unpack how many years of emotions were shoved down. And it was like, oh, I don't want to carry it like this anymore. But I did have to hit a wall. There was a day, I remember it specifically, where I hit a wall and I could not move forward. And I thought, I'm either going to have to find a different way to do this or I'm not going to be here. Like, it's going to be one of the two. There's just no other way through this wall. And I started to look at it that I couldn't control. Like, we were dealing with teen substance abuse at that time. I cannot, I could not control what was happening. I could not deal. I could not fix the world around me. And in all of my efforts of doing that, I had stopped focusing on myself and caring for myself and doing those things. So I actually, as you shared this, as you just shared that so beautifully, I remember the day that the wall was gone and I was like, you know, I don't know what the next day is, but I've made it through today and I'm experiencing more and I'm growing more and it actually feels like there's some possibilities. So if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I'm I'm hitting that wall, the wall doesn't have to be scary. It was very scary that day. Oh, it has to be scary. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, it, have to be the end. it doesn't have to be the end. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the end. It was, I remember it hitting it thinking I had no other choice. And then all of a sudden, when I started to really understand the word choice, it was like, oh, wait, I have lots of choices. I've just kept making the same choice every single day. That's right. And, and that's based on the cult you live in, right? How other people behave, be and have is to behave what you be, you have. Mm-hmm then you have a right to go into a myriad of other palette choices as the painter painting, right? The spin art of their life. Remember when we were kids and they had spin art where it was like that white paper and a record player and you put the paint in. That is how I see living life. It's spin art. It's not repetition. We are not, we're not copying Michelangelo. We're creating spin art every moment. And then you have choices to change the palette with which you're doing the painting. For instance, what the analogies you brought up to the reality of your life is be the example your child can lead by knowing I'm on an airplane and I'm the flight attendant and my child could die. I can't keep my child alive, but I can be the flight attendant that they look to, to say, my mom is safe and happy and healthy. And that's a reflection to tell me I can make it through and, 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 but I also have trained psychiatrists and psychologists all over the world for many, many, many years So I also know I had a child that went through addiction and I could hear the call when they said, if your child dies, they die, but you have to stop helping them. And I knew that we were in the 1960s running the mile at five minutes and there was no fucking way I was pulling my love away. And if I was wrong, my child would die, but I wasn't 
pulling my love away. And my daughter just graduated summa cum laude with a Fulbright scholarship from UCLA and lives an incredible, incredible life with a beautiful spouse and um, child. And, you know, she's an incredible job and she's an incredible member of society. And she says to me, you know, every single person I knew mom died. Everyone I dated died, everyone. And she said, if you had listened to one of those doctors, I know I'd be dead today. That's powerful. But I had to be willing back then to live forward from the future. I had to say, I had to move 15 years into the future and I had to see it. And then I had to be willing to live by the pain of what if I was wrong, I would want to kill myself, but I had three other children. Mm -hmm. What if I was wrong and she died? How could I live? Because I'm not following what the Elvis masses are telling me I have to do. But if I look 15 years from now, I see her healthy and alive and I see her involved. Now I'm going to tell you something else. I am clairvoyant. So for instance, I teach a class live every year for the last 35 years called the foundation intensive. You can buy it. It's available for the world. It teaches you how to bring nothing into something. And one year I will say now it was 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago. I don't know. Time is, and I are not relevant. Um, you live in time. Your cult taught you about time. I Time doesn't exist for me, but it's something like that because my son is, I think he's 36. See, I don't even know. He was born in 87. What? What is that? It, it's uh, 36 because I have a 26-year-old who was okay. born in 97. <laughs> I'm right. So 20 years ago, he, he came and took my foundation intensive. Mm-hmm. And when he came in, there's 50, 60 people there. Chris Evans, Captain America was there, all you know. And my son walks in and I introduced him as a Michelin star chef. And my son turns to me in front of everyone at 19 or 20 years old and goes, Mom, you have to stop telling people I'm a Michelin, Michelin star chef, right? He's making $9 on the line. Yep. Right. Working at a Michelin star strat. Hatfields or wherever he was working, right? He's won every Food Network game show like three times, but he was on Top Chef and he didn't win that. Uh, but, you know, he hadn't been on any of those shows yet. And so he walks in and I introduce him as a Michelin starred chef. And he's like, Mom, you have to stop telling people that. Like, it's not okay. This is in front of everyone because that's how our family rolls. Yeah. And I go, But Philip, you are a Michelin star chef. You just haven't gotten there yet. So I am not going to wait until the world tells me you're a Michelin star chef because I've seen it. I've been there. So mm-hmm. yes, you are a Michelin star chef. Now today he has two Michelin stars. Joe Rogan talks about him every week on his podcast. Yeah, like, I heard this. For me, which I believe is available for every human being, not as a cult of doing it like Candace, but your own investigation of forging using your own game of life forward to find out you know more than you thought you did if you break free from the lie of the mind that everyone else has just agreed to agree upon. Like if you live in Los Angeles, you still wear a mask today. Don't even get me started on this one. <laughs> if, you, if you live in Texas, you didn't wear a mask during the pandemic and you had no fear. Yeah. Unless you had comorbidities and your doctor shared with you and you found for your own individual self, mm-hmm. that was the appropriate way to go. But it wasn't en masse. Mm-hmm. So 
when I tell you and I share with you and I speak with you about my daughter and her future, and this happened before this thing with my son, but it had been happening for, to me since I was born. I could call the future and I'd step into it and it always happened. I didn't know how I knew. And I was it was just as treacherous for you as it was for me. I just could not not because I could see it. Mm-hmm. When I saw that about my daughter, I knew it, even though, like you said, but when you get to that wall and if it's not scary, it's always scary because you are learning. You are going beyond what you currently know to be true and it's life or death. And in this case, what we're discussing with our children, we're talking about literally not life or death. Like I might go bankrupt. We're talking about life or death and life or death in something that you and I, I don't know if we could live beyond and I don't want to find out. Mm-mm. But I knew enough to know that the Elvis way of dealing with addiction, I could not follow that. Yep. And if you're willing to risk living in nonsense and beyond what you know and be an experiencer experiencing, and it is life or death, and there is there is no class you can take, there's no guide you can have, there is no amount of money you can pay that can save you from the journey. And you know that when billionaires get sick and they're, you know, going to die, that money doesn't work anymore. No. Steve Jobs. <laughs> but the experience itself and the divinity to the passion. What is passion but to pass yourself on, right? Passion, P-A-S-S, pass, I, me, me, on, O-N, P-A-S-S-I-O-N. When you're passing yourself on, you're involved. When you're involved, you're alive. When you're alive, it doesn't matter what the mind is telling you. I'm alive for five more minutes. I don't care. I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. And where am I willing to tend to this myself? In the five minutes or right now? There's so much there. I want to ask you this piece on life school. Like I see, I believe we've all come here with very specific gifts and we can all tap into them. We can go through the motions and do nothing. We get to choose. And one of my very good friends, we joke about it, but it's all done in light. But she's like, I don't know what your soul contract signed up for when you came here, but boy, I, (laughs) she jokes about it. But I do believe that when I shifted that thinking that this could be for something good, everything in my life changed. Every single thing in my life changed. And you know what's interesting? Because from the outside in, I still had all of the challenges. It's like turning a pair of pantyhose inside out. Mm -hmm. Nothing changes. Yeah. And yet everything changes. But we think our external point of view is going to change for our internal point of view to change as opposed to our external point of view stays exactly the same. How we see it alters. Therefore, instead of against us, it becomes for us. Instead of the bridge keeping us in the castle, it becomes the drawbridge that lays down for us to walk across if we're willing to risk using our lives instead of being used by our lives. Mm-hmm. I would love to gift you my three-day foundation intensive. It's about 15 or 17 hours. It's pre-recorded mm-hmm. now. I don't do them anymore, but you are such a student of human behavior to me, I believe, from chatting with you. Uh, not that we're really chatting. I'm speaking and you're listening, but I'm watching you listen and how you're listening is profound to me. So I'd love to gift you that because I think it will really catapult you in into here. Mm. Oh, I love that. That's so sweet. It won't, change, it won't change your life. It won't get you anywhere. It won't 
give you mastery. It won't um, take your fears away. It'll just give you tools and awarenesses and um, coachings and guidance that will allow you to play amongst the cabin more freely. Mm -hmm. I am receiving that. It's been so interesting. So if you're listening to this podcast, Candace and I cross paths through a mutual friend connected very well. And I just knew that I wanted to learn more about what she does, what she offers. I love the whole life school analogy. I feel like you are somebody who is here to use every single ounce of what you have And so that when you finish your life, you could say, I have no regrets. I've done exactly what I was here to do. And a lot of people will struggle with that. And I want to ask one question. Um, How do you, I've heard you say it before, but I want you to share. How do you handle the resistance? Actually, I just wrote down the word life school. I think I'm going to change my company name right now to life school. I, I just, I hear it nonstop. I, so I'm not clairvoyant, but I swear I have, well, I shouldn't say that. I should not say that. I'm not going to say that actually. Um, because I have actually this very strange, there have been multiple times in my life where I say something and it happens and I have this vision or dream or something happens and I will say it and I'll tell my husband and he's like, Oh, yep. Yep. And then not as in, yep. I doubt you as in, yep. So I keep hearing life school from you. And I think that it's really powerful because we all have the ability to come here and live our life like to the fullest. That's what the three-day intensive is about that I've just gifted you. So this is what I do. It's what it's also what I do for a living, but this is what I do. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. This is what I do. This is who I am. I would I do retreats all over the world. I was doing a retreat and it was either Prague or Austria. I can't remember, maybe seven or eight years ago. And this woman who I just met gets to the retreat. And I say, what's going on? She goes, well, my husband and I are thinking about maybe getting a divorce or maybe staying together. And I said, well, we were talking and she said, well, we're thinking about buying a house. And I said, well, how much do you need to buy the house? And she said, well, our accountant said $450,000. We have to have that as the nut. It's just a random number. I said, in the next 48 hours, you're going to get $450,000. She said, I really appreciate what you're saying. And that sounds lovely. And I just paid you a lot of money to be in Prague with you. I don't remember where we were, Austria. And I said, in the next 48 hours, you're going to receive $450,000. She said, you need to understand something. My husband hasn't worked in two years. He's now an out-of-work actor. He was on a series, but he's not working. Said, in the next 48 hours. Mm -hmm you're going to receive $450,000. She wakes up the next morning and we go retreat. My retreats, you meet from 1030 in the morning till eight or nine at night. The only break you get is to go to the bathroom. We don't leave each other's sides. I am journeying you. It's not a, we meet from 12 to two and I collect your money. Your entire life alters when you journey with me. You lose time, you lose space, your entire life alters. Even if you just do a weekend retreat. But this was an 11 day retreat in Austria. So we meet the next morning. She goes, Candace, I don't know what you did. And I don't know how you did it. And I am beside myself. But my husband got a job yesterday for $250,000. Now, you were wrong. It it wasn't $450,000. But my husband got a job yesterday for the first time in two years for $250,000 to be like on car commercials or I don't know, whatever it was. I said, 
He's going to get another $200,000 today. And she looks at me, she's like, whatever. I don't know you lady, but you're insane. So he's going to get $200,000. By dinner that night, I'm making it up because I don't know time, but something like that within that day, she got a call from her husband and said, you wouldn't believe this. I just got another job for $175,000. Or $175, she calls, we meet for lunch or whatever. She gets off the phone. She goes, you're not going to believe this. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> try me. She said, we now have $425,000. She goes, you are wrong because it's not $450,000, but it's $425,000. How could you do that? I said, take the foundation intensive. I said, but fuck off because he has another $25,000 coming. <laughs> and? The phone rang and the company called and said, we changed our mind. We want to give you $25,000. Now that same day we were in a car accident. Oh, we were, we were in Vienna because we were on our way to Marie Antoinette's palace. Cause I was, she uh, was an, uh, a, a designer on sets for movies and plays. And so I had said as part of the retreat that we would go to Marie Antoinette's palace and it's like 35 rooms of, um, of Marie Antoinette. There's another miracle there too, but um, we all get in a car. Everybody on the retreat gets in a car and we're in Ubers and we're now headed from our hotel to Marie Antoinette's palace. And she happens to be in my Uber with this other gentleman and then an Uber driver who didn't speak English. We're driving. We get hit by a car at 65 miles an hour. Car runs right through us and doesn't touch us. No oh. screeching wheels. The driver's screaming. <laughs> we get off at Rantonette's Palace, and now they're like out of their mind because they're like, whoa, what just happened? But the gentleman that was in the car has done like 10 other retreats with me. So he's seen me fall off thousand foot cliffs and things like that that are impossible, right? So that was fine for him, but she was, okay, what's going on? I had just finished a retreat the week before in Italy with a different group of people, but I'm so silly. I forgot that Vienna would have different weather. So I didn't bring warm enough clothes. So while I was in Italy, I asked everyone if I could take an hour off and I just ran to the store I randomly found and I bought six pair of pants and three, six sweaters. And that was it in 20 minutes. While we were in Vienna, I was wearing an outfit. And then the next day, I just pulled the next outfit out of the bag to put it on because who cares? I'm just doing a retreat and I needed warm clothes. But for some reason, I could not put on the outfit. And I'm one of those people that gets up in the morning and puts on what's in front of them. I never care what I'm wearing. It's just, it's warm or something warm. I'm having a good day, you know, or a beautiful color. I'm, I need comfort day, put on something cozy. I couldn't put any of these clothes on. I had to put back on the same outfit I'd been wearing the day before, which I've never done before. And it was so weird. So I put it on and got to get downstairs because I'm leading a retreat. And we go to Marie Antoinette's palace and I walk in. And if you'd like, you can drop the picture in uh, when you do this podcast so people yeah. can actually see. We walk into the palace and it's 33 rooms of the same carpeting throughout the palace. I'm wearing the pants of the carpeting. I'm not wearing like it's periwinkle. 
with a design you've never seen in your life before that I bought a week earlier in a random store in Italy because I realized I needed warm clothes. Mm -hmm. I've also done retreats in um, Marrakesh and all over the world where I walked into a, a, a palace in Marrakesh and I'm wearing the tile on the wall, right? So it's like psychically, if you don't have a mind that's activated, that's selfish, self-full, full of thought, if your mind is dormant to the degree that what is speaking to you outside of our cultural norm that's calling you into the forum, and you can hear that call, you cannot not, through passion, intention, investigation, and the habitual patterning of nonsense, be called to beyond what you know. From that point of view of what my daughter went through, of all of these things that have happened for the last 62 years, pain, and it's painful, mm-hmm. like going to the gym, you feel the pain, turns me on like a light switch instead of turning me off like fear. So the call of having to put back on the old pants, which were brand new, but from the day before, or hearing that 450,000, when you were talking about saying to your husband, I'm calling this into action and you call it in. And these people all over the world today are doing a spiritual intellectual bullshit, like, you know, vision boards and all of this is wanting. It's all, you know, like, oh, if I do this, I'll get that. It's all wanting. Wanting is the absence of being, right? Neediness is the absence of reception. Looking is the absence of seeing. You know, you have to seek. Think about the word seek, S-E-E-K. I teach people to drop the K and C. Mm-hmm. Drop the K. Don't go to S E E K. Just go to S E E, which is nonsense. It's beyond what you know. And then take S E E into S E A. The liquid ocean of the mind. Mm-hmm. All things, always. Now, nonsense can't agree to it, can only experience it. You can call into action, which is this three-day intensive I'm gifting you. You can call into action, but it's a practice, just like going to the gym. Nobody stands at the weight room and goes, I want to look like that. And they go, poof, the mat. You know, you have to involve yourself in order to evolve yourself. You have to involve yourself. To involve yourself, you have to leave the lie of the mind behind. There's no room for it. That is disassociation, dissatisfaction, nonsense, all the things our culture trains us against. Mm -hmm. We are the lost Elvis days praying for safety, which is the opposing team to wisdom. Wisdom, wise from being dumb, wiz, W-I-S-E, dumb, (laughs) dumb. I have never heard that. (laughs) I love that. When, well, you've never heard it. Come. I just make all this stuff up. I've just been saying it for 36 years. So it's caught on culturally. Like I'm the one that came up with impossible. I'm possible, right? Then HIV used it. It's like, whatever. Um, I mean, I'm thrilled. That's why a teacher speaks, right? To get it to catch on. When we're wise from being dumb, dumb is anything rhetoric, anything we've already learned, anything that we're told is right or wrong, like east is east and west is west. Go to the moon and show me where east is. We don't know because we haven't agreed yet. Mm -hmm. And if you have the stamina and the chutzpah and the willingness and the girth and the practiced 
muscular structure of the ability and the willingness to stand up. You know, instead of understand, stand under, stand up. Life is an oyster, Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you, it is rough seas. Mm -hmm. S-E-E-S-E-A, it is rough seas. It is not for the faint of art. It is for those who cannot not. And cannot not is a double negative. I failed every English class because I always wrote cannot not. Like you can't write a double negative. That's where magic appears. When when you can or you can't, you're in thought. Mm -hmm. When you cannot not, you're in the mystical. When you cannot not, transformation begins to begin. And what is transformation but transforming? It's not an end result. It's not an outcome. It's not I did this to get that. It's transformation. It means I'm willing to come out of the cocoon. It takes 28 days to come out of that cocoon. Butterfly only lives for four days. It's not about the outcome. It's about coming out. It's about the climb up Mount Everest that you can die on. It's not about getting to the top. The top is the reason to climb, but the top has nothing to do with the climb. It's the motivation. It's not the end result. And our culture is about the end result, which is why we suffer. I love that. Honestly, I do. That is such a, I, I, it goes back to tying back to what you said in the very beginning about being there, right? Like it's like that end result when we focus on that piece is not serving us. Just like the K, drop the K. Yeah. Right. And C, drop the T and here. Mm-hmm. Right. Just, just like if you, how do you get out of hell? Add an O. Add an O. H E L L. O. Mm. That's beautiful. I could do this all day long. Oh, I know. I know. (laughs) I don't see, I don't see the culture the way you see the culture. I don't, I don't add and I don't um, spell the way you spell because I don't see the way you see. So I see the way you write all of you as um, metaphors of destruction. I see differently. Like, don't ever H-E-A-R again, only H-E-R-E. Mm-hmm. Don't ever P-I-E-C-E again, only P-E-A-C-E. And a P-I-E-C-E is a thought, right? It's either green or blue. It's this or that. It's red or blue. It's good or bad. Don't P-I-E-C-E ever, only P-E-A-C-E. Stand in the middle. It's a matter of fact, in, in the pandemic, um, I got I got canceled. Me, a 62-year-old woman who's like, you know, I got canceled because people were like, stand for um, Black Lives Matter. And I said, well, of course I stand for Black Lives Matter. And they said, well, write it on all of your sites. I said, go back and look at the last 30 years or whatever I started on sites. I said, I've never spoken about a side. If I speak about a side, it says another side is less than, not as important, better than said, of course, I stand for all lives matter. And right now I stand for that. We make aware a a journeying of opportunity, just like black people don't sit in the back of the bus in the thirties anymore, right? Like, or, or fifties or like, I stand for that, but I'm not going to stand for a side. And man, oh man, do people get mad at you? Like stand for the vaccine. I said, I'm not standing for the vaccine. I'm standing for individuality. I'm standing for peace, P-E-A-C-E. I say we don't come together ever again on this planet, ever again on this planet, we don't come together ever again. We come together. 
we come because there's something in that black cauldron in the center of town that calls us and everybody in order to take out their cupful must put in their piece. And if you have a chicken, you put it in. If you have nothing, you get water from the river. You bring something to that black cauldron and out of that comes enough for all. But we come to gather because we want to know what's in that black cauldron. We want our peace. We want the magic of what's going on in there that everyone else from town is coming to gather to have their cup full. But in order to receive, we have to give. So I have to grow myself in order to give so that I can receive. And the truth is, God's truth, good's truth is, there was never anything in that black cauldron ever from the beginning of time. But when we put ours in, in order to receive, we create it. What you bring to the table is what you eat for dinner. But you think you're getting, but it's the giving is the reception. So I don't believe in coming together and I don't believe in peace as P-I-E-C-E. I believe in the whole and in the whole you have to lose your mind because in the whole there is no thought. There are all sides prevalent. And when we make room, it means we have to grow ourselves, not others. Mm-hmm. And this world is still fighting for its own truth instead of the truth of we're all humanity. Human and human and human and human and human. We are not me unless we are in the we of me, right? Turn that W over and it's an M. Turn that M over and it's a W. In the me is we. And until we get that all is one, we will not get that all is one. When you get that T-W-O becomes O-N-E, duality becomes one, you get O-N-E becomes W-O-N. And then we win. But until that day, which we won't ever get to because we live in duality, that won't ever be an outcome-oriented get-to, but it is the plight of that yellow brick road we have the right to take to get to Oz. Oz, ah, ah. But there's a trillion Oz's. There's not this one place we get to where it all works out until after our last breath. There's just a lot of Oz's along the way. There is. I... There's so many things I would love to continue to ask you because I love the work that you're doing. I want to make sure, though, um, respecting time, how the best way for people to connect, follow, learn more about what you do. I will make sure everything is connected in the show notes. Where can best people follow you and learn more about your work? Well, I mean, they can go to my website at Candace Silver Studios at Yahoo. How do you say that? CandaceSilverStudios.com, I guess. And um, or or email my office at office at Candace Silvers. That's it. It is. Yeah, I'll check. I know. I'll make sure it's all in there. I I email it regularly, so it's all good. I'll make sure it's all in there um, as well as that's not my division. You don't need it to be your division. It's totally you're stay in your lane. Like you're seriously like you're just gold here. So stay here. Um, I will make sure it's all there as well as upcoming events and workshops and things that you have. All the connections will be there. I love this conversation. I've loved this connection. I, I just love the work that you do and how you are continuing to expand what we see as possible, right? And how we can look and look and view the world. I have one more question for you. It is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? 
I think that would also be P-I-E-C-E. I I think the lesson in life I'm most grateful for is the one I'm having right now. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life. Mm